Thanks for calling Toyota. This is Jan. I just adopted a new best friend, and I'm looking for a Toyota so we can make the most out of summer. With a new RAV4, you can take your pup for a drive up the coast. You can take a Prius to the park. Or you can take a Tundra to kayak at a remote lake. One problem, Jan. Oh? My new best friend's a cat. Your summer starts here, but it all ends June 3rd. Toyota, let's go places. Dealer inventory may vary, so you're participating Toyota dealer for details. Visit your front-range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Strava Craft Coffee. Strava Craft Coffee cannot be delivered to your doorstep every two, four, six, or eight weeks. And now you get 25% off your first when you use code DNVR25 over at StravaCraftCoffee.com. I'm your host, Patrick Lyons, and joining me today, as he does every single week, is the voice of the Colorado Rockies on AT&T Sportsnet, the host of the Drew, Good- Drew Goodman podcast and author of If These Wells Could Talk, stories from the Colorado Rockies. Drew Goodman. Yes, with, with my buddy Ben Hockman. How you doing, man? Pretty good. Pretty good, staying warm, doing the best, good. enjoying good. some college baseball. That's that's been fun. I was in uh, Memphis over the weekend for three days, watching college baseball, watching uh, my middle son play, and uh, going to St. Louis uh, in a couple of days to watch more college baseball. College baseball is great, and I'm not just saying that because I've had uh, my kids play college baseball. It's more um, they play with great energy, great passion. Uh, I, I think in the um, you know, we, we, we follow college football naturally really closely and college basketball really closely, as we should. Uh, I, I hope more games, you know, a ton of games are obviously streamed, but I hope more games continue to be televised and people who love the sport um, see how well it's played because there's not saying there's not the, the three true ca- outcomes, but there's less of it. There's less striking out. There's more strategy. There's there's. There, there's a lot of energy on the field. There, there's a collegiate uh, atmosphere. Um, so I love college baseball. And now with the absence of Major League Baseball, uh, I hope some people are gravitating toward that and, and realizing what a great product it is at many different levels. And I think they're realizing how pure of a form it is. Because again, these are amateurs that are just going out to play. They're grinding. They're having fun. They're being creative. And the various ways that they, you know, celebrate success. And yeah. so, like you said, with college football, there is an avenue for people to tap into that frequently because Saturday, that's that's what's going on, even Thursdays and Friday nights. Sometimes, whereas with the MLB season, even, even during spring training, you got 15 games going on every single day, basically. And so you're not allowed that same room to keep an eye on that or even the minors. But now that's that's definitely one of the benefits. And I think people are enjoying it and saying, wow, man, college baseball is really good. Yeah, and I don't think people realize or maybe fully realize would be the more appropriate way of describing it, just how good college baseball is. Again, at all levels, um, there, there's you'd be surprised. People go out there and say, wow, these guys are really good, and this is high-level baseball being played. So, uh, again, I hope some people uh, 
you know, either stream or, or find some places to watch uh, college baseball. Did you see some of the video of the players from Vanderbilt and their, their fancy new watches? I'm curious of your take on that. And for anyone who doesn't know, because I haven't talked about it yet on the podcast, is in college baseball, they they do have a, a way to allow for players to you know have some kind of communication devices. We know that in the past, I think in spring training, certainly last year in the Arizona Fall League, there was going to be some pitcher-catcher communication, a system that ultimately, you know, wasn't really adopted too much by the players, but you know, look, technology is advancing. And so you might as well tap into that in a sense. And so Vanderbilt saying, Hey, let's go all in with these watches that break down maybe positioning the, the count, what pitches are being called so that everyone could be in the right place at the right time. And they can communicate that much quicker too. Yeah. And because it, it is uh, an, an expedient way of, getting information to your defense and and letting them know what pitch was called etc i have no issue with it i have no issue with it uh, at all you know, i mean you want players to know hey is it breaking ball is it is it heater you know what what pitch is coming and to be able to align accordingly i, I have no issue now we're seeing guys always reaching their hat or their back pocket for alignment defensively um, you know you see it in the college game all the time guys I, I see third base coaches because they change it so quickly. We're typically the head coach, you know, looking at their uh, wrist to see, you know, where their touches should be indicating what, because they change it day to day, especially when, you know, when you're playing same school in a series. So, um, that, you know what, that's part of the fun of college baseball. Also, I, I really, uh, you know, uh, believe that. And I think some people would say, oh, got to be careful with the technology. It's a slippery slope. But anytime we're talking about a slippery slope, you say, well, there's a couple phases of it. And and if you're okay with giving a little bit of an allowance to start, I mean, sure, maybe people will, will want to push the bar and, and you can communicate different signs that get stolen in the next phase. But you it doesn't necessarily have to get to that spot for right now, for what it is to keep the game moving along and to communicate with players. I think it's totally fine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that that's it's been exciting to be able to watch that. And one of the the exciting topics in the last 24 hours in the Rockies world is the Mount Rushmore. You know, MLB Network Radio was doing it. I heard you on there giving your, you know, top four guys when it comes to the Colorado Rockies. And it's strange to say that it's it's almost easy to really think of the four best players in franchise history and, and everyone's going to have their own list. If you're thinking about, you know, who provided better memories or if you didn't get a chance to see X, Y, and Z play, maybe you might not favor them and you want to slip one of your guys in, but it's an interesting topic to think about maybe who, who's close, really? Who's, who has well, a plaque on the monument? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's easy and I don't think that's an indictment no. Of the Rockies, per se, I think it has to do with the relative youth of, of their franchise. I mean, you're talking about going into their 30th season and you have two no brainers in Walker and Helton. They'll be on everybody's list. There's unanimity, I would think, there. And then after that, to your point, um, <laughs> the, the two guys I put on there, I'll, I'll tell you right now. And then there's a there's a, a fairly significant list of high honorable mention for me. And the, the two other guys I put on there were, were, were Nolan and Tulo. And the criteria that I used overall, you, have, you know, you had to play here for a significant period of time. 
you know, Andres Galarraga was one, you know, maybe one of their first big stars, obviously hit 370 in 1993, hit a bunch of home runs, but he was here for five years. Great. Wonderful. It's part of the big cat. Elgato Grande is, is part of the, the history of the Rockies and, and should be celebrated, but he's not one of the four greatest in my mind, because, you know, Nolan was here eight years and eight, you know, ridiculously great years and mm-hmm. uh, both ways, by the way, offensively and as we know, defensively. And Tulowitzki's a guy that I think because story, you know, has been so good, it almost diminishes or we forget just how great Tulowitzki was. And it's so unfortunate that he got hurt, whether his career finished in Colorado or not, or Toronto, and then on briefly with the Yankees. He he had Hall of Fame talent, and he was playing at a Hall of Fame level for a good period of time, all of that time with the Rockies, not incidentally. And uh, had he not gotten hurt, he would have been a future Hall of Famer. I don't think there's any question. Uh, so for me, it was though it was it was Tulo and Nolan with high honorable mention, uh, you know, to Cargo. Uh, you know, you could mention, you know, you could certainly throw Galarraga on there. There's honorable mention to, you know, Charlie Blackman, high honorable mention. I mean, he's the only current guy that, you know, probably gives you pause, you know, but, you know, Cargo, it, 10 years, five of those 10 years, as you know, Patrick, because you study this stuff left and right, five of those 10 years, Cargo is one of the best players in the game. And, and in 2010, he probably was the best player in the game. He didn't win an MVP, but he won the Player's Choice Award as voted on by his peers as the best player, not just in the National League, but in Major League Baseball. It's interesting what you say about Tulowitzki and, and Story, because it's funny if you just go by, let's say, wins above replacement, at least as a jumping off point. Trevor Story's fifth, and yet he's fifth in the Rockies franchise. Yet, you know, he deserves an honorable mention, but I think because of the fact that overshadowed by Nolan Arenado. So you say, okay, he's he's behind him in the depth chart and behind Tulo in the depth chart. It's it's not uh the conversation isn't as easy to have to put him in. But you're right. You know, Tulo leaves in 2015 when he gets traded and Rockies fans don't have an opportunity to go, "Man, remember how great it was to have a power hitting shortstop that could steal a couple bases and had some great highlights defensively? Those were the days." They don't have a chance to catch their breath before, you know, stories hitting two home runs on opening day in 2016. Yeah. And that, and that, and that obviously, I, I think if the Rockies had a string of shortstops or just solid contributors and not another bona fide star, superstar, who was a power hitting guy as well, who ran a lot better than Tulo. I mean, Tulo stole some bases early in his career, but I mean, Trevor's one of the fastest guys in baseball. It, it was such a unique you know, situation to go, you know, a 15, 16 year run where you had, you know, two really great ones. Um, The reason I would put Tulo in front of um, Trevor right now is that Trevor will have played unless something changes. And, you know, we all, we all hope that does, but if Trevor's played his last game in a Rockies uniform, he played six years in a Rockies uniform. Tulowitzki, again, we forget this. He played 10 years. He parts of 10 years with the Rockies. And the other thing I looked at, Patrick, and I'll be interested to hear, you know, your take on this as well. You know, the Rockies have had a modicum of success uh, in terms of going to the postseason. 95, they did it faster at the time than any expansion franchise. But the best 
period for the Rockies. I think the best teams they ever had were 07 through really 2010. Now, the 2010 team fell apart the last two weeks of the season, unfortunately. 2009 was a great team. The team that went the furthest, as we know, is 2007. Who was the starting shortstop during that period of time? Who was the, you know, one of the two leaders during that time? Troy Tulowitzki. In fact, so much so that Dan O'Dowd, I remember him telling me that he felt he had one of the, the greatest leadership sets at the time of any young player he'd ever been around. And it's why the Rockies, you know, we're, we're looking at the, uh, you know, what's going on down in Florida and Jupiter, and, and hopefully they can get their, you know, both sides can can come to some sort of agreement here in the, in the not too distant future. But one of the things that, you know, the, the Players Association understandably want is an avenue for young players who are great to get paid earlier than is currently the system. Dan O'Dowd was, and, and obviously Dick Monfort, was proactive. They paid him, I want to say it was, a, it was like a $160 million extension or something along those lines very early on when they didn't have to, uh, really celebrating you know, his greatness on the field and what they felt he brought in the clubhouse. Yeah, that was certainly not innovative at the time, but it wasn't as rare where you are committing, you're giving that guaranteed money, which I think people forget sometimes when, you know, you, you can control players contract or his contract is, has team control for six years that it doesn't mean he's locked in on those six years because you know what, if he gets hurt, you can pull the plug on it and it, it's not guaranteed, but the Rockies, you know, they put their money where their mouth was and, and they gave him that guaranteed deal. And that, you know, that, that still was, was something that worked out. They did it with cargo too. That worked out really well. We've seen it recently with Charlie Blackman and Herman Marquez. And I do want to talk about Charlie Blackman here for a little bit, but got to remind everybody to head on down to the DNVR bar on the corner of Colfax, New York, where we have nuggets and abs watch parties going on all week long through the weekend, even Sunday night, you can come down to watch the nuggets. If you're a member, you get that member sized beer, a little bit, extra little few more ounces there in your glass you can't pass that up and now it's only 50 cents for your first month at the dnvr.com and if you're ready to go all in on the annual membership you get a free t-shirt while you're at it for those hoops fans out there gotta let you know about the latest offer from DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba it's that if you bet just one dollar on any team whether they're the favorite or the underdog you can win 150 dollars in free bets if they win it's that simple DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get in on the game and bet on the NBA's same game parlays. You've heard me talk about it before, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's where you just bet multiple things in the same game so you get a bigger payout, even if it's you know odds that you know Nikola Jokic is he going to score 20 more than 20 points. Yeah, of course. So it's not going to really pay out that much, but if you stack a couple more things, how many rebounds he's going to get, how many assists, whatever it may be, you can win more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR to bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if you win. That's promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And you can watch along with the Nuggets or Avalanche 
if you've got Avaca TV, you've heard us talk about it now for a little over a week, and it's something you need to tap into. They've got all the local networks, including Altitude Sports. It's a totally new paradigm for TV delivery that's less expensive and more efficient while offering a superior picture than some of those legacy providers. They're offering in Denver, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Boise, Twin Falls, Idaho, all up and down the Rocky Mountain region. All you need is an antenna and Avaca smart receiver, and you can get ABC, NBC, Fox, CW right here in Denver. And yeah, most importantly, did I mention they've got altitude sports? They make it easy to follow the Colorado teams you love, including the Nuggets, Avalanche, Rapids, Mammoth, including some college with Rams, Pioneers, Baseball, too. Well, how do you sign up for Avaca TV? All you got to do is go to avaca.tv slash DNVR. And at only $25 per month, plus a receiver, no contracts, no hidden fees, you lock it in for two years, you can have all of your Denver sports once and for all. So Goody, with Charlie Blackman, I'd written an article a couple weeks ago about the fact that he's been on the Rockies for a very long time. I think there's only about seven players who've been with their current organization longer in, in some capacity. Like we're talking Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright. Joey Votto, not, not very many. And so he's been around, he's, he's Mr. Rocky 2.0 in so many ways. And although a lot of the flashier numbers might not be there for him, you know, he, he has to be in that conversation when you're talking about the greatest Rockies players of all time on, on that cusp of, of being on the Mount Rushmore, because he's just been doing it so consistently for so long. Um, I, I would agree. And, and that's why I, I kind of threw that category out there. High honorable mention. You can only take four. And, you know, let, let, let's hypothetically say that, that Charlie has, you know, beyond his mid-30s now, has some sort of bounce back year. Because we all know what kind of, ta- you know, shape he stays in and how dedicated to his craft that he is. And, you know, let's say he has a 24 home run season this year and, and continues, you know, you might go, Hey, we're going to have to take Nolan off the the list or, or Tulo off the list. There's no way you're ever taking Helton or Walker off there. There's just no way. And because both are going to be hall of famers as we, as we've now learned with Todd, we're, you know, pretty sure that will occur at some point in the next, you know, two to four or five years. Right. Uh, but you know, maybe at some point Charlie's right there to to your, you know, to to the points you made when you uh, when you put him in print. Yeah, he's you know going to be number two in in virtually every category, right? Hits, uh, he's right there. I mean, could even pass Dexter Fowler for most triples if if that means something to you. You know, he's not uh, not, a, not a lot, but go ahead, continue. <laughs> it's a fun one though to to think about it. You know, again uh, having so many of the, of those team records, but I think what speaks to him. And again, so much of it is true for the Todd Helton in the hall of fame conversation. I think you make it true for Charlie Blackman in the all time top four Rockies conversation. He's still on the outside looking in, but you look at the, you know, 22,000 or so players that have ever played in the big leagues. And I love, you know, you were the first one who ever really kind of captured, I believe, because you'd frequently say on broadcasts, right? Like the lower bowl at Coors Field. That's every ball player of all time can basically just fit in that lower bowl. And so 22,000 you think is a lot on one hand and on another you go, oh, that's it. You could just, you could fit them all in in one 
general block in, in downtown Denver? And yeah, you, you can. So you take all those players and how many have over 1,400 career base hits and have done it with only one baseball team? And there's not very many. There's, there's only 79 and over half of those guys are Hall of Famers. So, you know, once you start kind of parsing the numbers out a little bit, you begin to see like, wow, man, Charlie is really, really special. He, he, yeah, he is. And I'm looking at some numbers right now. This is his age 35 season. He'll be in the middle of the summer. He'll turn 36 July 1st, right. You know, right prior to the all-star break. And um, why, why am I not finding this? He is. He's sitting right at 300 too for a career. Right. So that's one where, again, you he's, he's going to want to go on, on, on the other end of the spectrum and, and keep it above 300. But you know, that happens in players career. It happened to yeah. Mickey Mantle where he, he couldn't stay and, there. And he'll play two more years. Cause the, the, this is the final year of his deal. He, there's an option, but it's a player option for 2023. Now I'm assuming barring something unforeseen, you know, Charlie's going to say, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take whatever's left on that, you know, deal he originally signed. And, uh, was it a five-year, ninety-eight million dollar deal? He'll he'll take that. So he's going to play two more years. So he'll end up playing thirteen years in a Rockies uniform. Currently, he sits at three hundred and OPS plus of one fourteen, which is you know comparable to Cargo. Cargo in his ten years, one sixteen OPS plus. I mean, you, you broke. You know what the numbers are. He's been a great, great Rocky, um, and you know, and wildly popular. Uh, because he's a, you know he's an interesting cat. He's a bright cat. He's got the beard, which makes him so recognizable. Um, I, Cargo on that list scored extra points for me because of how he carried himself, how he was adored, um, how he raised the level of the clubhouse, uh, the chemistry factor. So those guys are high. You know they're they're at the they're knocking at the door. Um, but you know for me right now I had I had Tulowitzki. And I had Nolan because Tulowitzki, I'll fall back on this again, Patrick. Tulowitzki was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And Nolan will be a Hall of Famer. Nolan will be a Hall of Famer. If he, really, if he plays another year or two, even right now, if, you know, he, he's getting close to the, the, you know, the Kirby Puckett Hall of Famer, right? With, with, yeah. with all due respect to the late Kirby Puckett, who played just 10 years in the big leagues, but became a hall of famer because it was an extraordinary 10 years before the glaucoma got him. And then, uh, you know, sadly he, he, he passed away not long after that, but um, you know, Nolan, there, there'd be a pretty interesting debate if for some reason, Nolan only played 10 years in, in some significant injury got him as to whether or not he's a hall of famer. You'd probably could make a convincing case. He still deserved to be in. It's that conversation between dominating particularly a shorter amount of time versus the durability, right? Compiling that that's the debate of the hall of fame in, in so many ways. And so while I don't want to, I'm not saying Charlie Blackman's a compiler, but like he's been durable. Like that's, that was the other part of, of this piece. It was called a decade of dependability. It's actually free right now over on the dnvr.com. So you don't even need to spend 50 cents for that first month. But if you go back and look from the point in which he became an everyday regular back in 2014, only Carlos Santana has played more games than him. And Santana has been aided by, you know, close to 200 games at DH. So if we're talking about just going out there and playing your position since 2014, no one has ran out to their spot 
more than Charlie Blackman. And again, doing it at altitude at a place that we know can can beat up so many different athletes of, of various sports that he's able to keep himself in that shape. Again, it belies the value that and dependability that he's brought to this organization over the last decade. And, and, I, and I suppose the interesting part of that is initially he had a couple of injuries sliding in his hometown in, into third in Atlanta and were breaking his foot. And he had, he had a couple of injuries early and you were wondering, well, hey, is this guy going to be able to stay on the field? And now he's been one of the most, uh, you know, resilient guys uh, going, not just with the Rockies, but in, in all of baseball. Charlie's been great. Charlie's been great. Um, he also, like I was mentioning earlier about guys that, partook in the postseason um, as part of their legacy with the Rockies. You know, Charlie, part of the 17 and 18 teams, clearly. Um, really probably, you know, part of his prime seasons as well. You know, it's not all that long ago. You look back, Patrick, and you say, all right, offensively, you had a, a great talent in Nolan at third. You had this great talent at shortstop in Trevor. Uh, you know, Cargo was, was kind of on the backside still, but a threat. You had Charlie, who had emerged as an elite offensive player. And I know a lot of Rockies fans are going, all right, but Charlie's still here. Cargo's basically retired. And, and you know, Nolan's in St. Louis and, and looks like Trevor's going to be in another town. And the Rockies, even the last couple of years with those guys, or with some, some of those guys, were deficient offensively. Game changes quickly, though, doesn't it? It, it does. Yeah, it, it definitely does. It, it makes you feel old, especially when you go and look at the top prospect in the draft and you go, Andrew Jones's son, wasn't he just at, you know, playing center field at Yankee stadium and, and down in Atlanta and CC Sabathia's son signed to play at, at Georgia tech. So it'd be interesting to get Charlie's take on that. And Matt holiday. I mean, a guy who, you know, I think uh, we, he came up the other day. I know we were talking about Bo Bichette. And so Jackson Holiday is going to try to be the next Bo Bichette, a guy who used to well, hang around Coors Field a, a bit. I'll give, you, I'll give you another name in uh, in that family, and that's Ethan Holiday, Matt's uh, second oldest of four, who's a um, who's a couple years behind Jackson, and Ethan's already committed also to Oklahoma State. E Ethan is physically bigger and stronger than Jackson. Jackson ha doesn't have Matt's size; I think he's built a little more like Leslie, uh, his mom. Uh, Jackson's, uh, I was talking about him yesterday, uh, with, with George Frazier, my old partner. And, uh, I think for, for old time Rockies fans, they all remember the stories of when Jackson after wins was two years old in the clubhouse and hitting, you know, swinging the bat lefty and hitting bombs and all, everybody's like, my goodness, this little two-year-old swings the bat like his dad. And now Jackson's grown up, but he's a senior at Stillwater high. And, uh, there, there's a chance he's going to go certainly in the first three rounds. Um, and I think there's a decent chance he signs too, from what I'm hearing. Um, but, um, you know, don't, don't forget, uh, there's another holiday coming in Ethan holiday. Who's, who's a really physical kid. He's got a lot of pop already. I wrote a little bit about Jackson, uh, on the article that came out on Monday on the dnvr.com about those interesting draft angles for the Rockies who select 10th overall, of course, Kumar Rockers back back in the conversation as he didn't sign last year with the Mets, and yeah, Jackson Holiday got to got to consider him. Maybe he can follow in the in the footsteps of uh, Yorvi Torialba's son, Yorvis, who I caught up with on uh, Tuesday, and so that'll be an interview that comes out 
on Friday at noon on the DNVR Sports Channel on YouTube. So it's it's nice. Look, the, the it's worked for the Blue Jays bringing bringing back the sons of all these great you know former ball players and whatnot because they've got a pedigree, they've got the baseball IQ. It's just in their genes, and so it's cool you know to see the Rockies doing a little bit more of that and and maybe doing even more of that going forward. Yeah, you see everywhere in baseball. Earlier we were talking about um, you know college baseball and. You know, I scoured, you know, check on different, you know, teammates of my, you know, sons or guys that I've coached or, or what have you. And I, uh, you, you come across other sons of, of big leaguers. Uh, for instance, who, who was I looking at? Uh, for old time Rockies fans, remember, and, and this was such a hard name to pronounce because he's Cajun. Remember Danny Ardouin? Yeah. K-R-D-O-I-N. Well, his son is a starting catcher at the University of Texas. I mean, he is an absolute stud and hits for pop. He's got a cannon behind the plate. But that's in fact, the Rockies drafted him out of high school really late, but they drafted him out of high school. And now he's a star at the University of Texas. One of their assistant coaches, Troy Tulowitzki, and currently, uh, at least as of last week, they were the number one team in, in college baseball. I uh, saw another one. You, you remember... Uh, this is a brother. Um, I think he's at the U of A, also a catch. Remember Andrew Susak? Susak. Daniel Susak, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's at he's at the U of A. So um they were my pick for the to win the college world series, my DraftKings Sportsbook pick of you know what? You, you want to want slightly longer odds. And I thought, you know what? I think uh, Chip Hale is down there, you know, kind of taking over his old alma mater there. I I, I like Arizona as a one of those sneaky teams to get in and, and do some damage in Omaha. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm with you. I'm really thrilled for Chip Hale, one of the really good guys in, in baseball, and he was a great player at the U of A. And I thought that was a terrific fit for him to go down there and, and take over. And they play for those that don't know it, their home field's now High Corbett, where the Rockies, uh, you know, was their original spring training home. Uh, they've dialed it up really nicely. I was there for a fall workout uh, about a year or so ago before Chip ended up taking over. Uh, a, a quick shout out to Tanner Otremba from Cherry Creek High School. Tanner, uh, great player, great kid, uh, terrific family. He started his career. He was a stud for Mark Johnson and he, a four-year starter, which is unheard of in high school, especially at, at Cherry Creek. He went down to Texas Tech, did well there, but transferred uh, a year and a half ago to the U of A. He was the Pac-12 uh, player of the week this week. Um, uh, for the opening weekend of college baseball. So uh, hats off to Tanner Otremba. Do you want to give a, a take my cap off and doff it for Lightshade, Colorado Premier's dispensary, because they've got the solution that's going to leave you a little bit more well-rested. And it's Wana and their Wana Optimals Fast Asleep Gummies. It's going to allow you to feel rested, refreshed in the morning. It's not going to knock you out with powerful drugs that leave you in a fog. It's calibrated with a formula that contains 10 milligrams of CBD and just a hint of THC. That's going to leave your eyelids feeling a little bit heavy in just 5 to 15 minutes. And in zero minutes, guess what? You can go and order your Wana Optimals Fast Asleep Gummies at Lightshade.com and get 25% off that order with code DNVR. Use code DNVR at any of Lightshade's 10, soon to be 11, Denver metro area locations. Well, Goody, you brought it up and I, I was thinking about talking about it today. High Corbett Field, because we're kind of, we're getting close, I think, to the, the 30th anniversary. I think it was maybe March 2nd that the Rockies said, well, we got to train somewhere. Boom, they chose High Corbett Field. I think Saturday will be the 29th anniversary of the first year that they 
uh, actually the first game that they had in, in spring training, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Bud Black throw the first pitch against the Rockies in a spring training game? I think that might be right. Um, I, I oh boy, that sounds like Cut. something along those lines occurred. So I'm going to go with you. Yeah. What are your memories of, of that stadium or, or what have you seen it become today? Because it's, it's going to be in use. People might not realize this for a hundred years because it was built in 1937. So we're talking 85 years ago now. And as you said, university of Arizona still uses it and they signed a 25 year lease. That's going to keep it in operational um, through 2042. So it, it's going to, it's going to hit the century mark. I have a lot of fond memories uh, of Tucson. You know, I think most things always start with your family and my, my kids were young and we would go down there, you know, for spring training and my kids had their favorite, uh, you know, restaurants, uh, uh, the Daisy Mays, which was legendary. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about Daisy Mays. We'll get into the ballpark. But so one of my, I think it was my first year there. I was talking to Helton about, you know, restaurants. He goes, you got to go to this place, Daisy Mays. They grill all their wings. They, it, it's really good barbecue. Uh, it's a really cool place. And it's back before MapQuest. So Helton gave me directions. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm driving out there. And, and for those that have heard stories, you know, Todd's a practical joker. And I'm driving out there. And it, it's, it's probably, a, you know, 20 minutes from the high Corbett area, if you will. And, you know, you go through downtown Tucson and now it's now there's no really no lights. Pima Community College is on my right. And I'm driving down this road and it's pitch black. It's not like you're coming up on lights where it looks like, oh, there's probably some businesses, potentially a restaurant coming up. I'm like, that Helton, he got me, man. He got me. So I and this is I am not embellishing this at all. I see a place to turn in finally to turn around up on the left. I just passed Pima, Pima Community College. And for all those people that were have been to Daisy Mays and frequented Tucson back in the day, they're smiling right now because they know they know where I'm going with this. I turn into the left and there's a little sign that says Daisy Mays. I was turning around and going back to you know to civilization. It, it's on the you know kind of the outskirts. And so Helton was not playing a practical joke that particular time. And it was a legendary place. I was down there with a, a baseball team uh, in the off season about a year ago. And, and uh, my youngest son was with me and we made sure he went back to Daisy Mays. So it's a great place, but Aaron cook used to be there like every night and he'd gotten in good with the owners. He would go behind the bar and help out and serve drinks and stuff. So that was a legendary place. All right, I digress. Some of the other memories of High Corbett, the the seats in the sun, they were all silver. Remember, because they're like bleachers. Yeah. And I'm like, in the for the outfielders, there'd be the ball would go up, and people, you know, it was hard for them to see in that sunshine. Um, you know, it, it was it was antiquated, uh, but it was it, it had a charm to it, and it was the Rockies, and it was the first place, and and you know, it worked. Um, the, the weight room was a, was a tent beyond the left center field wall. It was not an indoor thing. It was, it was a tent that had 
you know, they, they, it got hot as blazes in there as you can imagine, because it had the, you know, the hard plastic or, or the kind of soft plastic coming down. Uh, so, you know, those, some, those are some of the memories, you know, the little cramped in the, for the, for the clubhouse. Frazier used to show me the old clubhouse, which was really the new clubhouse. And he said, so when I first went there with Cleveland in spring training, all you had was a nail. You hung everything on a nail. That was your quote unquote locker. So, you know, it, it, again, it, it worked for that period of time, but overall from a baseball standpoint, from a training facility standpoint, I always say the Rockies, when they moved from Tucson to where they're currently situated, they went from, you know, the proverbial outhouse to the penthouse. Well, uh, a workout or a weight tent definitely does sound a lot better than just the nail. So that, yeah, they were, were those upgrades. Yeah, they were, yeah, they were, they were moving in a, they were moving in the right uh, direction. But I, honestly, I have a lot of great memories of, of of High Corbett and the facility. It was cozy. You know, the executive offices were down the right field line. There was a little grassy area where little kids, the you know, sons and daughters of, you know, executives or, or players could, you know, could, could kind of play. And some, you know, the GM or the assistant GM, they come out and they could lean against the fence and watch the ball game and then go back inside to their offices, uh, you know, down the right field line. Uh, it, again, it, 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 it had a charm to it. And, and I remember those times and, and even those facilities very, very fondly, even though I knew that, you know, if you're a, a Charlie Blackman or, you know, a Carlos Gonzalez, who actually, you know, I think trained at both places, um, you know, Helton certainly from their standpoint, when they moved from Tucson, it didn't have to get on the long bus rides. That was the other thing I didn't mention at all. It's an hour from Phoenix. Yeah. It's a couple hours. And if you were playing up in surprise, it was three hours. And so very few veterans, you know, Helton wasn't getting on that bus, especially with his back later on. Um, you know, it, that, that just made it, you, you knew at some point in time, everybody was going to move into that Phoenix area, but, um, from a training standpoint, much, much better when they moved to Scottsdale. Yeah. You talk about the charm. And again, in, in the early days of the, the organization, that's, that's all you knew. So it's just, it's just home. So you, you deal with it to agree, but I, I like that. It's one of the reasons why when I think of the cactus league ballparks, I really like Hohokam because of that more old school vibe and not old school, like, you know, we're talking Ebbets Field, but it's just, it's just older. And they just slap some green paint on it and say, hey, yeah, this is where the A's play. But it's different than a lot of the newer fashion stadiums. So it has that bit of charm. Like, like Surprise is very cookie cutter. Uh, I, I think the Peoria Sports Complex is kind of somewhat similar to that. And you got Camelback is, is unique, beautiful. Salt River Fields, it's the gem of, of the Cactus League, hands down. And then you go on the other end of the spectrum and say, man, it's, it's a little old, it's a little dilapidated, but you know it's seen a lot of really good games there. And so that, that's why I like Hohokam, and, and I like how you've been depicting High Corbett Field and, and the charm that it, that it obviously had for so long. Well, in old Scottsdale, you know, old Scottsdale Stadium where the Giants play has that charm also. Yes. Uh, you know, it's like they keep adding seats and jerry-rigging it in. And, and you go and see a, a Giant game in March. Um, I was at a, I think I was at a Giant 
Cubs game one day where, you know, the Rockies weren't playing or whatever. And it was, it was awesome, man. It was, the atmosphere was great. There was about 13, 14,000 people. It was tremendous, you know, and, and that's what you think about when you think of uh, spring baseball in Scottsdale. And that's why for a variety of reasons, you and I, and and so many other lovers of the game, uh, you know, want to see this thing, settled um it's not quickly now because we've already missed some spring training but to be able to have people families uh go down and and spend some time in in uh in the phoenix area and scottsdale in particular and and enjoy spring training and all that uh that it brings yeah it's still there it's uh, (laughs) phoenix and scottsdale still exists but because there's no spring training yet it's like i i can't go there yet we can but, and, you know, have to go down to Tucson, watch University of Arizona, or even Arizona State has great baseball program. I like that stadium there. That's a little bit different the way it's it's kind of nestled in off the highway. And Well, um, they play, they play Patrick, I think you know this, at, at the old A's complex. Right. They used to play, you know, right on, on campus at, at Packard Stadium, which was a great little ballpark. Now, you understand why Barry Bonds and going back, Bob Horner and all the great Sun Devils through the years hit a lot of home runs there, but it was right across from Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, but now it's a parking lot, and they took over a couple miles away the A's old complex. Um, but yes, to your point, and what we were talking about at the outset of, of the podcast, there's some great college baseball down there. Uh, listen, Grand Canyon plays really good baseball, GCU in, in Central. Uh, Phoenix, uh, in addition to all of the outstanding junior college programs, Yavapai and, you know, Central Arizona and Pima, there's so many good programs and uh, in, in that area. So there's a lot of baseball to be seen. We'll do a little of the ESPN top 100 list where we have some face off with guys, but I wanted to get your thoughts right away. I'm sure your eyes might've bugged out of your head, maybe a little bit when you heard that Juan Soto turned down a 13 year, $350 million deal. And then realized, yeah, he's he might be worth a lot more than that. You think he'll be the first four hundred million dollar player? Well, he'd be the second because Mike Trout has a four hundred plus million dollar deal, doesn't he? I th- I think he technically it might be like an, an extension of of close to that of three hundred plus that was tacked onto it. I'm not sure. I, I, I yeah, maybe okay. he was. But but um, I I, w- I wouldn't say shocked because it was their initial offer. So most initial offers are turned down. I was listening to, it's interesting to, I, I listen to the PTI guys almost every day. I do it the next day actually on the, on the podcast with, with Will Bond and Kornheiser and Kornheiser has adopted, even though he's a native New Yorker, he's adopted the nationals having lived in our nation's capital for, for over 40 years. And he termed it an insult by the Nationals to offer. Think, think about what uh, what, yeah. he, what he said, and I'm regurgitating. It was an insult to offer Juan Soto, the great Juan Soto, only $350 million over over 13 years. I wouldn't say it was an insult. I would say, and he's a Boris client, that they're saying, okay, that's great. Now we know what your starting point is, but it's going to cost a whole lot more. Uh, very few things financially in the world of sports now shocks me, Patrick. He he has a ton of leverage because what what is he twenty two? Is he even twenty two yet? 
I think he'll be playing his, his age 22 season. Yeah. Okay. And he's going to be free agent after three years and he's arbitration eligible as a super two guy. So yeah, again, he's got that advantage going for him. Cause he'll, I mean, even if he, if he doesn't sign any kind of extension, I mean, he's still set to make maybe $70 million more just before he even reaches free agency and arbitration. So you subtract from the total. I, I don't want to go down the, this whole road sure. of, of the issues that are being hopefully negotiated in Jupiter, how many teams in in our sport in baseball can be a candidate to sign a Juan Soto? Just a handful. Yeah. Now, if you give, if you make the football equivalent or the basketball equivalent or even the hockey equivalent, because there are, you know, salary constraints, any one of those guys would be in play for any organization. The Rockies aren't going to say, listen, they, they realized that deal for Nolan was too large in terms of then being able to put other, you know, people in place on the field. Uh, I don't know what he'll end up getting. Will he get, I imagine he'll get somewhere 400 plus. And I'll say this also, I, th he's, he's, he's remarkable. I, I could sit there and watch his at bats all day, how he controls the strike zone. Um, it, it's Barry Bonds-esque. Um, the fact that when he does get a pitch, he hits it with great authority. He's an absolute joy to watch. Uh, I throw Mike Trout in this category also. It's not my money, all right? But those guys on a really productive evening with their teammates, it has to be in concert with their teammates, are going to get five at-bats. Most games, they get four at-bats. It's baseball. It's hard to be impactful every at-bat, every other at-bat, maybe every third at-bat, right? So you start going, man, that's a whole lot of money for a guy who only has four opportunities, maybe five, to, to change the complexion of a game. It ain't football with a quarterback where he's got the ball a ton. It's not basketball where you go, all right, this is our guy. We're going to get the ball to KD here, you know, all game long and especially in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying guys shouldn't get paid. I want to see them get paid. Good for them. But I but if I'm sitting there right in the chat, I'm like, you're gonna, you're gonna take 400 million, let's say, and dedicate whatever it is, almost 40 million dollars a year to one guy. And that guy only comes up four or five times. I don't know. But how much is it worth if he creates a new dance sensation from that move that he does in the batter's box? I mean, that, that, that's got to have some value too. No, you were right, by the way, 426 million for Mike Trout. That final series of, of the year, Juan Soto and, and the Nationals were there. And I remember going around him when that series started asking people what the over-under was on how many hits he would get because he, he, you couldn't get him out. And, and, and that was the talk. And, and I remember he almost disappointed a little bit because he didn't hit like four home runs. You know, he didn't have three doubles, but it, you're right. It, every time he came to the plate, you stop and, and looked what you were doing because of the, the, the Soto shuffle was fantastic. And yeah, he's, he's an exciting young ball player. And uh, we're lucky that we get to see him, you know, a lot more here in the, in the national league than anything else. I'll tell you what, if I, it's a, it's a great question. You say, all right, if you could watch one of the, 
myriad of great young players. I mean, really young players. And a lot of them are the sons of, but, you know, Juan Soto, Tatis, Vladdy Jr. I'll even throw, you know, Bo Bichette in there. Obviously, Ronald Acuna Jr. You say, all right, you can only watch one. Or how would you rank them? However you want to make the question. I, for me, and I probably have a little bit of a bias, Patrick, because we see this cat more. But for me, Fernando Tatis Jr. I would agree. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's, he may be the best. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm not saying right. he's not the best. It's a great argument. And we'll find out five, eight, ten years from now who, who turns out the best of this extraordinary uh, group of young, young talent. Uh, but Fernando Tatis Jr., in the game of baseball, you just can't take your eyes off him. I would have Tatis first as well. I mean, it's more of the style of play, not his style with his hair and his glasses, but just he's going to do something you may have never seen or would have thought of. And, you know, maybe that's something that's going to you know, lead to an injury or something, which you hope doesn't happen. And, and that's one of those things he's got to figure out. Bryce Harper had that going on, I think, for a little bit in the early part of his career, being a little too aggressive, knowing where to scale it back. So when you watch Tatis, you go, I might see something I've, I've never even thought of before. And, and he's going to do that. And so that, that, there's something exciting by that, that he's, he's, he's a wild card in all the best ways possible. He's he has it all. You know, we, we talk about that. He has it all. You mentioned, you know, his hair and the sunglasses. He you know, I've been around him just, you know, a, a few times. Uh, I know people who, who work for the Padres that are around him all the time. He's a wonderful kid. Evidently, he's a great looking kid. He, he has it all, man. And, and he's gifted beyond belief because he has light tower power. He can make every play a shortstop. He's, he's becoming more consistent. I know he had some throwing errors, you know, his first couple of years, um, and he has dealt with some injuries already. I mean, he's done something that's not easy to do. He went from flying his top hand, and, and he couldn't do that anymore because of the subluxation of his shoulder. So now he's two hands and, and keeping two hands through the bat, through the zone. That may seem, seem like not a big deal, but when you've been doing – this your whole life and now you're doing this it's different and there was no drop off man uh, remember there was speculation he was gonna miss you know the rest of the year and he came back uh, you know relatively quickly again uh, so yeah he's you know he, he he's truly that cliche worth the price of admission by himself he's exciting he's exciting all right we got another face off here for all-time greatest players on mlb's top 100 list do you want to mix it up with a with a pitcher face off, or do you want to go with a second baseman face off? You 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 set the rules, brother. Go ahead. All right, we what haven't done a, we haven't done a pitcher yet. So, no. in uh, MLB's top one hundred, no, not MLB's, in ESPN's list of top one hundred ball players, they've got two pitchers right next to each other. Clayton Kershaw is also in this conversation, but if we narrowed it down to two, we've got Justin Verlander at seventy three and Max Scherzer at 65. Both guys still going on, going strong. I don't know about Verlander, if he's going strong just yet. We'll have to wait and see. He did get a, a nice little contract that suggests he's got a lot more strength left in him. But what do you feel on these two guys as far as where they rank at least one versus the other? Who has had the better career at this point? Okay, now I you didn't, you didn't um, so, so our listeners know, you did not, Give me a heads up on this, which is fine. No prep. And so I'm not looking at baseball reference. I'm not 
you know, looking at fan graphs, I'm just off the top of my head, who's had a better career? And these two guys are both Hall of Famers, first ballot, we know that. I'm going to say, Patrick, I'm going to say Scherzer. I'm going to say I will take Scherzer's body of work slightly <laughs> over Verlander. But if, but if I have to suffer through <laughs> having Verlander in my rotation, I will, I will gut it out. I think that's how I would go. And you know what? With, with two good seasons by Verlander, uh, I, maybe I, I flip-flop. But as of, let's say, three years ago, I still think Verlander would have had the edge partially because Verlander just came on the scene. He just he exploded onto the scene. He's got those two world series that he made with the tigers. And so it, it was the, the Verlander show. And it really took a while for uh, Scherzer to develop before he finally got going also with the tigers and, and before he signs that deal with the nationals. And so he's, he's been getting better and better with age, whereas Verlander has been very consistent all throughout his career. Yeah, and I mean Scherzer again. I'm not looking at the numbers. He's a freak. Yeah, Scherzer's been a freak, and and both guys are freaks because both guys are have maintained high velocity well into their 30s. As Verlander's closing in on 40, it's going to be fascinating to see because he's going to be back this year, you know, and coming off Tommy John, and you know, is he still 98? <laughs> um, Listen, you're split. You're splitting hairs, right? Sure. They've both been great. They've both been great in big moments. They've both been great for for a long period of time. Uh, you know, power guys, punch out guys, guys that you love to watch. The old Sunday, growing up, the old Sunday afternoon, it always seemed like Seaver was facing Carlton or Gibson. It was always Sunday afternoon. Like, didn't they ever? Didn't their number ever come up on a Tuesday night? I mean, of course they did, but you know. It, that that's Verlander and Scherzer. I mean, if if those you know if the Mets are playing Houston this year in in July, right. and you got Verlander on the bump and you got Scherzer on the bump, are you not? I'm in. I think it might be next year that they are on the same schedule. It's kind of similar, okay. like the a the the NL. I'm not sure, but I think NL West, of course, is playing the AL Central, and so I think I think. It seems probably true for the AL West. They're playing the the NL Central. I'm, I'm not sure. I'll have to look this up here as we go on. But yeah, you you, you got to think those guys are going to face off at some point. But their numbers have been really similar. And again, like you said, you don't necessarily have to look at the numbers to just know how it feels as far as the careers that they've had. Verlander uh, has has pitched a little bit longer, uh, has 36 more wins, 226 to 190. Um, but if you look at ERA plus, Max Scherzer has the edge, 134 to 129. Uh, strikeouts to walks, the edge goes to Scherzer. More strikeouts for Scherzer, and again, you know he's he got paid by the Mets, so very much uh, is a matter of him kind of still being in that prime. And in a lot of ways, Verlander has the two Cy Young awards, Scherzer has the three. So they're they are both right there in this generation of the greatest pitchers during this time. And, and you're right. I think we would all be lucky enough to suffer through having Justin Verlander pitch for our team, you know, every five days. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good comparison there. I like that's those two. Yes. All right. Our second baseman here coming up, we've got Ryan Sandberg and Roberto Alomar. They were also two second basemen 
that were very close on the ESPN's top 100 players. Les Sandberg was at 91. Alomar was at 96. This one is an interesting conversation again. Again, just going by feel for it where, well, what, what's, what's your take on these two guys? Is, is there one that seems maybe head and shoulders above the other? Again, same deal, Patrick. Right. I haven't, you know, uh, I, I haven't looked at, at, at any sort of statistical analysis of both of those guys. But this one for me mm-hmm. is more definitive. I, I would say that Robbie Alomar, as great as Ryan Sandberg was, Robbie Alomar was better. I also remember looking up Ryan Sandberg's splits back when people really nationally piled on Coors Field and and uh, the the fact that on the road, most guys' numbers were way down. Ryan Sandberg's numbers, I believe, at Wrigley Field, a great hitter's park, especially for the the four months where it's warmer there, um, were much better than his road numbers. And and listen, when I make this presentation, it's not to suggest that Ryan Sandberg wasn't tremendous. Of course he was. But I think think overall, Robbie Alomar, as a two-way player, was was slightly better than, than Ryan Sandberg. And I'm also influenced by... Uh, Jeff Hewson, who I have, you know, he's my partner. He's one of my dearest friends. I have immense respect for his baseball knowledge. He played with Robbie and, you know, he just, he just speaks, um, you know, about Robbie as if, you know, this, this guy was just at a completely different level than, than just about everybody else in the game. And Alomar, I think had a lot more power than we might, you know, remember him. Four, like, like Sandberg had the 40 home run season, which, you know, was quite impressive. It, I'm not going to say it was unlike anything we had seen before because Davey Johnson had, had hit, I think 42 already by that point. So you think of Sandberg more as that power hitter, but Alomar still hit 210 home runs in his career. So trail by about 72. And so the offensive profile is, is similar, but as you said, the defense, I think, was a key part of it and, and postseason play with what Alomar was able to do. And again, you know, Sandberg played his, the entirety of his career in Chicago. So, you know, unfortunately didn't have those same opportunities. But Alomar was a guy that every team, you know, was was coveting. And he had a couple bites at the apple in, in free agency with, you know, Cleveland and, and, and Baltimore and even the Mets. So he was a, a highly sought after guy that was essentially a a slam dunk first ballot hall of famer. He got in on the second one, but I mean, either one of those guys, again, are, are two of the greatest of, of their generation. Yeah. Who, who, in your mind, who, who was better, who statistically advanced metric wise ranks better. I would assume it's Alomar. Yeah. I mean, I, I have Alomar ahead too. Um, I, I kind of thought it might've been a little bit high for Ryan Sandberg to, he's might be similar to last week when we had the conversation with Barry Larkin, where, he might just be on the outside of the top 100 players. Again, still really great. You know, I think Sandberg had some of those injuries where um, was it maybe 95 that he missed the entire season? But you know, overall, it, Alomar was was the guy that you know I, I think the the numbers favor him in in general. Wins above replacement, they're neck and neck. It's, it's 67 to 67.9 that actually favors. Ryan Sandberg, uh, who the defense metrics actually like Ryan Sandberg better than Roberto Almar, which is is a little bit shocking. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll say this: the one thing I always like to throw around as a fun fact 
when it comes to Ryan Sandberg is Michael Jordan kids. He, he, was, he came from a baseball family. We saw what he did uh, trying to make it a pro with the White Sox. But, but his kids, Michael Jordan's kids, always But because of Ryan Sandberg, that was why they love 23. And so I always thought that was a funny anecdote when it comes to Michael Jordan, you know, the, the greatest of, of at any one sport, maybe of all time. And Ryan Sandberg, a, a second baseman for the Cubs. Yet, you know, Ryan Sandberg, that's the guy I want to interview. That's just sheer luck. Karma on the uh, high Corbett thing. So I saw, I, then I, I looked and I saw that we were supposed to be talking about high Corbett. I just referenced high Corbett. Uh, yeah, this week on the podcast, and we appreciate all the downloads and spreading the word. But uh, Tad Boyle, finish up Tony Alfred part two. And tomorrow we launch with, um, with Tad Boyle. And Tad's team has a young team we knew going into the season. They had the nice run in the tournament last year, the blowout of Georgetown before falling to a red hot Florida State team. Uh, but um, he knew they were going to be young, and they're starting to come into their own. I think they won four in a row on the road. They they had a three-game sweep on the road. They got Arizona State tomorrow night, and then they have the big game at home against the U of A. They seem to be a referenced a number of times uh, in our show today. They're number two in the country, and they're coming into the event center. So we talked to Tad about you know the growth of his young team, then about recruiting overall, how you know with with all the things that have changed. Um, and we, we also talk about this, you know, the big sports story of the week when, when Juwan Howard got into it with, uh, with the head coach, coach guard of, of Wisconsin. And, uh, he, he has some, you know, definite opinions on, you know, things that transpired on the handshake line. And so, uh, I, I think, uh, people will find it interesting as always. Yeah. Tad's a great man. Tad's a great guy. He does it the right way. Yeah. You- Talk to him in the off season, and that's a great one-on-one. But particularly yeah. now with what's going on in the news, and and some people saying, you know, should there be a handshake line anymore? Should there not be? Jawan Howard fired, not fired. He's suspended for the entirety of the year. I was talking with one of our guys, you know, Andrew Mason, and he had to go all the way back to I think what 1978 with Woody Hayes. The last time there was any kind of incident where where a coach kind of is, is the first guy out there. Uh, with with the flagrant uh, actions and, and whatnot, so uh, I'm I'm excited for this one when it drops on Thursday morning. That that one on one with with Tad Boyle, college basketball in, in the state right now is really, really yeah, exciting. It's great, and Patrick Justin Michael, you know, who does a great job with DNVR covering everything CSU. There's a huge one tonight. It's not just it's not just in our state. I mean, what University of Wyoming. Wyoming. Jeff Linder's done a marvelous job up there, and they're being led by two Colorado kids um, in in their program. They have a huge one in Fort Collins, another sellout at Moby Arena. You know, Joe Scott. You know, it's harder a harder deal down at Air Force, even down the road at New Mexico, further down I twenty five. And we talked to Tad also about 
you know, college basketball in the mountain states area. I'll even take Steel Boise, Leon Rice, who's a friend who does a, a marvelous uh, job up there for a number of years. The whole, this mountain time zone, the lost time zone, the flyover time zone, really good college hoops uh, uh, in, in this part of the world, if you will. And uh, we, we discussed that uh, on the podcast also. It's another great one. Make sure you download and subscribe to the Drew Goodman podcast. Follow him over on Twitter at Drew Goodman 42. Hit him up for a cameo too, if you need that as well. Taking care of some folks during this time uh, for, for birthdays. Valentine's Day is, is past, but there's always there's always a good cause uh, to give a shout out from our buddy here. Love it. And uh, we're, we're doing our, our thing over on Twitter at DNVR underscore Rockies on at Patrick D. Lyons. Uh, and you want to do this next week again, Drew? What do you think? This was fun. Love, you know what? I'll do it anytime you want. I, I, you and I have a good time doing it. it it's a lot of fun. I, I do hope. I, I, my fingers are crossed. I know yours are. And everybody, every one of your many listeners is, I hope next week that the first part of you and I getting together is to talk about finally they got the damn deal done. And <laughs> we're going to be talking about baseball soon, Major League Baseball. Uh, so, you know, I got toes and fingers and, you know, what's left of my hair crossed. So um, I hope I hope that's what we're leading off with next week, brother. Once we get that word, the shoulders are going to ah relax. It's going to go down a good six to seven inches there. It, it will be a good day and, and it will be a good day. We'll we'll get to that at some point. So thanks for tuning in. As always, if you're listening to this as a podcast, go over to the DNVR Sports channel on YouTube to actually watch our, our semi-handsome faces have this great conversation and whatnot. It's it's always fun and, and appreciate you listening in. But you know what they say about momentum? It's only as good as tomorrow's podcast. So I'll talk to you then. <laughs>